Rural hospitals fight for every dollar in order to provide excellent care to their patients. While losing money each year is often the norm, rural hospitals continue to work toward a zero margin with anything more than that considered to be a great accomplishment in our industry and environment. So, how do rural hospitals remain sustainable with smaller patient populations and payer challenges? With careful forecasting, forward-thinking growth strategies, and constant attention to the details. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 9 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hotshire, President and CEO of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. Today we're talking about rural health finance. Now, we've touched on this in several episodes, but today it's really our primary focus because it's one of the major reasons we even started this podcast. Right, Rachel? Exactly right. We want to bring attention to rural hospitals and healthcare providers because the financial challenges we face could jeopardize access to healthcare in rural communities where 18% of Americans live. You know, our guest today is Greg Beeg, president and CEO of Oaklawn Hospital in Marshall, Michigan. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Greg. Thank you, JJ and Rachel. It's a pleasure to be on your program today. Greg, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, and Oaklawn Hospital? Sure, I'd love to. I started out my career working at uh, University of Michigan Hospital, big academic center, over a thousand beds, and uh, worked there approximately 10 years. I then proceeded to move up to uh, Saginaw General, and my pretty much my full career has been in the finance arena. So while at U of M, Uh, I was an accountant, and then I moved up to a budget analyst and then a financial analyst. And while I was at Saginaw General, I migrated into the finance area as well as the reimbursement side of the arena. So I had a broad depth of experience from there. I then proceeded to move into um, over into the Grand Rapids area and worked for uh, Trinity Health at St. Mary's. Again, I became the CFO of Joint Ventures there. And then I proceeded into a turnaround project up in Mount Pleasant at Central Michigan University, uh, excuse me, Central Michigan Community Hospital. And that was a financial turnaround for that organization. So I spent approximately 13 years there. Then I uh, did some work over at Carson City as a CFO, doing some turnaround work there. And then I took an opportunity in Marshall at Oaklawn uh, Hospital, and I, where I started off as the CE. FO, and then I proceeded to become the CEO after the resignation of the previous CEO. So now that we've established who you are and what you do, let's start with a why. We do this on every episode so we can get to know our guests just a little bit better. So Greg, what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? The why is I absolutely love working with people in the, and caring for people. Uh, I started off my career, my mother was a registered nurse. She really gave me the exposure to healthcare. Uh, and while I am not a direct hands-on clinical person, everything we do helps my clinical team provide the uh, instruments, the, the capital, the uh, technology that they need to benefit all of our patients in our community. And that is a significant why, Greg. And I know firsthand, having the opportunity to work with you, that that truly is something that you live out every day. So, Greg, like many of uh, our rural hospital CEO colleagues uh, in this industry, 
Unlike me, you were the chief financial officer for several organizations before becoming uh, the chief executive officer. So how did that role prepare you uh, for this role as a chief executive officer? Well, it was one of the interesting things throughout my career. I didn't take the typical CFO route. I just didn't focus in on general ledger and reimbursement. My focus really, as I started out, I had an interest to understand operations. So anything in the CFO role that I did, or even as a budget analyst and accountant, I tried to focus in, meet with the department directors to understand radiology, to understand lab, nursing, all the way down the line, just in exposure. And ultimately, throughout my career, even as a CFO, uh, I took on numerous responsibilities and The only area that I really never oversaw in my entire career was the nursing department. But it was through that exposure that it opened the doors for this opportunity for me. I understood operations. I also understood the accounting side and what had to be done to to run our businesses. And so like you being so successful as you have been, that has been uh, the key driving force at what has made me what I am today and why I have uh, continued to have successful records and, uh, and trends wherever I've gone. So today we're specifically talking about the finance piece of rural health because, of course, you have a lot of experience in that. And like you said, you have a, a unique and a approach to that that's prepared you for a higher level of leadership. So can you explain for our listeners what's the overall picture for rural health finance? How does it work and look different from urban and suburban health organizations? Great question, Rachel. Large hospitals or large systems, they have much easier access to capital. Uh, That's one of the challenges the smaller hospitals have. Um, The cost of technology, the bigger the organization, they have better leverage from GPOs and and getting the the necessary technology and our supply chain uh, to realize some of the the cost savings. Uh, While some of our problems are the same, it's just relative to the size of the organization Uh, The thing that I do like about the smaller institutions is you have your hands on everything in the rural environment. So um, my finance uh, team and my CFO now, they oversee all aspects, revenue cycle, investments. They get the general accounting reimbursement. They do it all. In the bigger systems, what happens is they become so specialized, just the sheer volume, you kind of are concentrated into one area and you may not get the the depth and the broadness of the experience that you need. Okay, so for our listeners today, Greg, why don't you explain what does your payer mix look like at Oaklawn, and what would you say are the biggest financial challenges or the barriers facing your organization specifically? We run about 43% Medicare, approximately 17% Medicaid, 28% Blue Cross products with the majority of that about 25% being outright traditional Blue Cross, and about 10% commercial and 2% self-pay. One thing about our organization, it has uh, an insatiable appetite for capital, high-tech capital, i.e., our organization, we have a DaVinci XI, we have the Mako robot, we have the high-end technology. Obviously, it's very costly, so we have always have to figure out how we're going to continue to uh, uh, keep that technology up and 
maintain it as well as replace it. Um, the other thing that we are challenged with is competition in our in our region. We are surrounded by three major large health systems, and we're kind of in the middle, the bullseye right in the center. So that has been one of our challenges. Obviously, um, we've done very well in that market and maintaining our strength. And one of the last items that we've been really challenged with in relationship to the big markets is the uh, competitiveness for labor. Obviously, the bigger providers around us can afford to pay the higher salaries to the staff, tending to attract them uh, on, on a more readily basis than we are. However, we do compete and we provide the hometown small community atmosphere. And a lot of people are very interested in that and they enjoy it. So um, while it has been uh, problematic for us, it's also provided us opportunities that some of the big institutions cannot provide. And if our listeners today are wondering uh, Oaklawn Hospital, uh, could you explain to us your size of Oaklawn uh, and maybe a little bit about your staffing levels? Sure. Our hospital is 94 licensed beds, 77 med surge, 17 psychiatry beds. Uh, we have about 55 employed physicians and 25 to 30, it fluctuates, um, APPs or mid-levels that uh, we have. It's become a very, very big component of our organization for our physician practices. Uh, we are very well integrated and uh, our ability to work in, uh, collaboratively uh, and through this market has been uh, exceptionally well. We run about, our total revenue stream is about 73% outpatient and approximately 27% or so on the inpatient side of the business. That said, JJ, I want to pose the same question to you that Greg just answered. What are some of the biggest financial challenges or barriers facing us here in Hillsdale, very similar to Oakland? We're just smaller in scale than Oakland. And how does that compare to what Greg just shared? Well, I would say they're the similar themes. You know, Greg talked a lot about technology, and it's uh, never-ending in our industry. We cannot slumber. We can't go to sleep. We always have to be forward-thinking about what is the newest technology available, and, and primarily because the consumer wants it. So the competitive advantage that, you know, those that we would recognize as our competitors, you know, as they purchase new equipment, and you see those wars uh, as you travel down into Indiana between two specific hospitals that are very close together. One will buy a, this a Tesla, one will buy another Tesla, and they're always in competition because the consumer wants the latest and the greatest. When we look at equipment, we look at capital expenditures, and then we look at our payer mix. You know, one of the greatest disadvantages to us in rural health is we don't have a rich mix of, you know, high uh, insurance payers like Blue Cross Blue Shield. Now, Greg has a much higher than I do. So he, you know, that sounds like the land of milk and honey <laughs> over there in Oakland. Uh, but for Hillsdale, 70% of my payer mix is government, Medicaid, Medicare, and a very small portion is commercial and Blue Cross Blue Shield. We still have a lot of self-pay in Hillsdale County, uh, and we still have, believe it or not, a considerable amount of charity care uh, that we engage in here in our community because we are, you know, uh, a community that uh, does not have access to a, a lot of the commercial insurance. And the reason for that uh, was because of the economic uh, downturn of our community where we lose business and manufacturing, you lose commercial insurance. And then there's more reliance on government payers. And government payers is not, you know, where we're going to make our, our profitability. So those are the similar themes that I would 
would see that Greg and I have at, uh, at both of these hospitals. Now, sometimes when we talk about finance in rural health, it can start to feel like we're fighting a losing battle. But if that were definitively the case, we wouldn't be here. (laughs) Or maybe that just means we're still fighting it. Um, But Greg, how do rural hospitals overcome these kind of financial challenges that you and JJ are both talking about? Well, I'll tell you, as I had uh, spoke earlier about, we are surrounded by major, major health systems. We are dead center in all of them. It would be very easy to come in our community. What we have done and what has been solely our primary focus so we can survive as a rural hospital is our focus on quality. Anything we do, we ask the question, what are we doing quality-wise for the patient? The other key thing is maintaining your efficiency. It's very challenging in this environment. So if you start to run into additional costs, you have to figure out where you're going to make that up, either through revenue enhancements and or cost reductions. And uh, one of the challenges we've had that both JJ and I have had during this COVID uh, environment, we had to make some very difficult decisions very quickly. We didn't have the luxury, as I had spoke about earlier, access to large sums of capital. So Uh, Those are the quick decisions that uh, we had to make. The other thing that Oakland has really done that has made it successful is the loyalty of the community. We reach out as an organization and we support numerous initiatives, as does Hillsdale in the community. The community loves us and they come here and they're very, very loyal to this organization. So we actually do attract a number of patients from outside our uh, primary and secondary service area that come here that help us out because of our focus, again, on quality. And uh, the other last thing I would have to say is know your strengths, focus in on them, make them better. And as they get to uh, the very top or the pinnacle of, of their efficiency and your productivity, then move on to other things that you can provide the community. But don't lose track of where you are and what you what has made you what you are. So just to keep the main focus on the, on those types of services and uh, aspects. Greg, we know that more than 130 rural hospitals have closed since uh, 2010, by and large because of the financial insolvency. So what do you think are some of the differences between those that make it and those that don't? Well, I tell you, having experienced this in a couple of organizations I've worked with, you have to continue to invest in capital, whether it be plant and or technology. So many smaller hospitals fall by the wayside because what happens, they don't invest. All of a sudden, their MRI is 12 or 13 years old. Now they have to spend another million and a half, $2 million, and it becomes very almost cost prohibitive. So, Yes, there are other ways to invest in those things and different investing avenues, but invest in in the capital. The other thing, invest in your talent. You've, you know, our biggest asset is our our staff, medical and our operating and clinical staff. Invest with them, educate them. How can we make our organization more efficient? Those are the key things from that perspective. Again, our focus has been quality. That is what made has made Oakland what it is. Continue to focus in on your strengths and be, become just not good, but become superior in those uh, uh, those uh, aspects. 
again, look at your revenue cycle, potentials for you know opportunities for enhanced revenue. As with Hillsdale, we continue to look with at various aspects and how we can generate revenue, how we can reach out to the community, how can we reach out to different organizations and collaborate with them that we both share in the successes, reduce some of our, our investment costs, but at the same time, realize a profit that uh, comes back to all of us that we can reinvest back into healthcare and to our community. Craig, I want to congratulate you. I had the opportunity on numerous occasions to tour your facility, and I would say that we're we're pretty close sister hospitals. Uh, I think your facility is equally as uh, beautiful and shiny and clean and friendly uh, as Hillsdale is, and hopefully you found that when you uh, were able to tour our facility as well. But I think that speaks volumes to the type of leadership uh, that you have is looking at your infrastructure as a primary, you know, it's the window to your hospital, it's a window to your health system. So congratulations for creating uh, such a beautiful campus up in Marshall, Michigan. Well, JJ, I have to express the same sentiment uh, towards Hillsdale Hospital. Walking through it, first class, world class. Uh, Not only was your facility beautiful, the thing that I found most appealing was the friendliness and the outreach that your staff had. Your staff never knew me. They saw me, but they you introduced, they were talked of, they engaged. That's what makes you what you are and us what we are. And that's why we continue to be very successful in our rural and our smaller community hospitals. So congratulations on your operations. Well, thank you. I want to draw another comparison between Hillsdale and Oakland because um, one of the things that is unique about Hillsdale, specifically just because of the challenges that are faced in, in rural health when it comes to the finances, is that while many rural hospitals often look to their OB units as the first service line to shut down when times are getting tough financially, um, Hillsdale built a brand new birthing center just, what, five years ago maybe? Um, so that, I would say, is one of those examples that of what you were saying, Greg, of making the investments for what your community needs. Um, and looking to to have the services available that they're looking for. And so sometimes that's reinvigorating a service you already have, and sometimes it's looking to a new service. So what kind of examples do you have from Oakland similar to that, where Oakland has made some choices to make some investments that traditionally you wouldn't expect to see in a rural environment? Well, as I had spoke earlier, one of the key investment areas that we have is it, high technology we again continue to invest in robotics. And what we're trying to do is meet the needs of our young physicians. Uh, uh, Many of our physicians now, as we know nationally, are now at that retirement age. So we are getting a lot of your early to mid 30 physicians. Just like with cell phones, we JJ had talked about earlier, this is the way they're brought up through their academic programs in these in these uh, big academic centers and their residency programs. So we are meeting their needs to attract the younger uh, physicians, and that's been very, very beneficial. They uh, just absolutely love the technology. Now, the bigger problem that I'm facing is now I have my surgeons and proceduralists. They want another Da Vinci XI. So Pretty, pretty unusual for a small hospital our size of 94 beds to literally have two da Vinci's. So, uh, but anyhow, we're trying to work on our OR efficiencies. Uh, so I don't have to buy one right now, but uh, 
as the younger and younger staff come on board. Those are the things that I'm going to have to deal with. Rachel, the other area investment that both Greg and I um, are intimately involved with is behavioral health unit. And so, you know, this is typically not a revenue generator for hospitals, but it's a community benefit and community need. Uh, Certainly when Michigan, when the governor at the time, Governor Engler, uh, closed the institutions that were state institutions around uh, Michigan, you know, those – that population of those patients who needed it the most ended up either in our emergency departments or our county jails. Not appropriate whatsoever. So Greg has taken the lead and he's got a a beautiful – a facility for behavioral health, and I have a facility for behavioral health here at Hillsdale. But uh, that's recognizing a community need. Uh, it's not a revenue generator, but it is something that we have to give back to this community for the total population health management. And again, I want to congratulate Greg for having that vision and insight uh, and for also being that regional center because there are times when we're full uh, at our hospital that we will then refer patients uh, over to Oaklawn and make sure that they get in for placement. And it's very important. Uh, these are individuals that just need a little bit of uh, you know, back on their medication and just a little bit of direction for their life, and they function fully in society. And we oftentimes forget about how important that is, but it's an aspect that we often lose. But when you think about community hospitals, you know, that's the type of service that we're doing. And of course, uh, we can't really get out of this discussion without directly addressing COVID-19 because it's created financial problems for hospitals and healthcare systems of all sizes, not just rural. Um, and some of those are starting to feel the kind of pressure that we've been feeling in rural hospitals for decades when it comes to uh, financials. Um, and it's also serving as a nail in the coffin for some of those uh, hospitals that were already on the brink. And we have seen around the country there have been some hospitals that have closed since the onset of the pandemic. So for the rural hospitals that are pushing through, how has our past experience dealing with precarious financial circumstances prepared us to navigate this crisis and the financial issues that come with it? Well, I want to tell you one thing we have done as, as rural hospitals and those that have thrived, such as Hillsdale and Oaklawn, we have had to scratch and claw for everything that, uh, that we've gotten. We have really learned how to manage our operations and more so with the leadership at Hillsdale and at Oaklawn and the successful uh, rural hospitals, they can make decisions very quickly. We don't have to go through 20 meetings to make decisions very, very uh, candidly. When this COVID crisis hit, it took a week and a half, and I went, I lost 65% of my revenue. I wasn't going to get any bailouts at that point in time. I didn't have the cash reserves to uh, say, well, I'm going to ride this out for maybe three, four months. At the burn rate I was going, I would have burned through almost 70% of my cash. We made decisions. We made them quickly. And within a week and a half, we laid off 17.8% of our workforce, essentially 200 employees. And yes, it was hard. It was hard on our community. We are the biggest employer in our community. And it was difficult, but what we, we did what we had to do to preserve this organization. We wanted to come through this uh, ordeal uh, whenever it concludes, stronger, better and, and uh, 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 an organization that can continue to provide world-class care to our community. And that's just exactly what we've done. We did get some assistance through the CARE Act and other financing mechanisms, but 
We have never relied on that. Uh, that's been nice to get, but we continue to focus in on the efficiencies and uh, what makes us what we are. So, Rachel, I want to give Greg some vindication today. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. Because uh, Greg and Hillsdale, so myself and Greg, uh, were the first two of the first two CEOs in Michigan in rural hospitals that put out public statements about the layoffs that we had, uh, unfortunately, to engage in because of the uh, loss of elective surgery. So for Hillsdale, the loss of elective surgeries, which we actively fought, um, and we understood that there was no science behind it and it was later proven. But we actively fought that. But there was a $10 million loss for Hillsdale. And I saw that coming and I made immediate within the same week. Greg did the same. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Greg and to a certain extent myself were victims of at that time uh, some shaming and some some media attacks uh, unwarranted by by every measure and uh, the vindication for Greg today is that within probably two or three weeks of him and I having open and transparent discussions with our community about why we had to do this groves of hospitals behind us started doing the same thing. We were just ahead of it because we recognized the the importance. And we're so, Greg said it, nimble that we know where every scope of our operation is, where every dollar comes from, where the revenue sources are, and we have to make sustainable changes quickly. Uh, and, and the crisis came. We knew that our cash reserve would only carry us a certain time. We didn't want to eat it all up because we still need to run a hospital. We had no idea what COVID was going to bring. And we made we made decisions that ultimately saved jobs. They did. Greg has returned, I believe, just about everyone back to your workforce. Greg. You're absolutely right, JJ. We've brought everyone back and pretty much same with you. And now we're looking at expanding services. And ironically, we our business has actually surpassed our pre-COVID budgeting. I don't have an answer why. We kind of theorize why, but we continue to really do well. But we were prepared. We were nimble, as you were, that uh, made us and put us in the position to do what we had to do. And we we paid back our employees. I came out right when that happened. I said, this is challenging. This is going to hurt everybody. We're all going to be part of this reduction in whatever phase of whether it be salary reductions or temporary layoffs. But we have done a couple of things. We've actually enhanced certain benefits uh, in the last uh, several months. We were able to pay out some bonuses to people. I said I would restore whatever I could restore. And so we've got things going in the right direction, and I will continue to give back to our employees and, and, and enhance also our patient care to our community members. And making those decisions early on, I'm, I'm going to tell you, Rachel, truly saved jobs, and it preserved the system. And the criticisms that came to CEOs like Greg and myself early on for making these decisions, you know, were unwarranted. And we were we were fortunate enough to bring those staff members back and to be able to restore it. We at Hillsdale, a 2% raise we were able to give to our staff, return positions back. We were able to offer a bonus for a COVID, uh, recognizing the hard work of our team members. Uh, and we would not be able to do any of that had we not made the business and financial decisions at the beginning of COVID to prepare ourselves for what was unexpected. So hats off to you, Greg. Well, thank you, JJ, and also hats off to you. Thank you. Well, Greg, once again, we want to thank you for joining us uh, for this enlightening discussion. 
Um, I think our listeners will come away from this episode with a much better understanding of really what goes on uh, when it comes to finance in the rural health environment. And now for our favorite part of the show, the voice of the patient. Today, we have a story from Jeff, who recently had surgery here at Hillsdale Hospital. Jeff sent Rachel an email detailing his experience, so I'm going to read that for you on Jeff's behalf. Dear Miss Lott, as you know, I had my surgery, gastric sleeve, on December 9th at Hillsdale Hospital. I just want to give you some input about my experience. From my first visit to Dr. McCurry's office, I felt that the staff cared about me and the journey I was embarking upon. Every visit, the MA staff, nurse practitioner, and Dr. McCurry were very supportive. The day of my surgery, I entered the hospital and was greeted by a bright and smiling young lady named Linda. She welcomed us and did her COVID-19 screening and directed us to be checked in. The registration specialist was very sweet and friendly. When I entered the pre-surgery area, I was welcomed by RNs Pam and Sharon. After my surgery, I was moved to first floor medical surgical unit. The whole RN and SENA staff were wonderful and I could never ask for any better care. I also was visited by Emily from Dietary and the RN case manager. Both were very nice and supportive. When it was time to be discharged, my current registered nurse, Anne, assisted me in getting ready to go home and escorted me to the hospital entrance. The both of them made sure that I knew that if any problems arise, the hospital would be there to assist. I have been involved in the Hillsdale Community Medical Arena for 35 years. I have served as an EMT and EMT specialist, orthopedic tech, worked as a SENA and EMT here at Hillsdale Hospital in various departments, and also as a volunteer EMT and in the emergency department years ago. I was very impressed by all of the Hillsdale Hospital staff and the care that I have received. Thank you, Jeff. First of all, I want to thank Jeff for sharing his experience with us. It's especially important to hear a testimonial from someone who's received care during the pandemic and not just something quick and simple like a blood draw, but a major surgical procedure. And that tells us just how important it is to not only continue providing other types of care through the pandemic, but also how wonderfully our staff have adjusted to provide a great experience to our patients despite the added stressors of our COVID-19 protocols like visitation restriction. Before we close, Greg, we like to do a fun segment with our guest. So we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? For me, the first half of my career was with either big academic or large systems. But there is nothing like the rural environment. These smaller communities, as I had talked about earlier, are really engaged in the community they want to give back. They take pride, our staff, in going out and getting uh, the accolades from the community members. Thank you for improving my health or thank you for saving my life. We get those uh, uh, comments on a regular basis. And it's really great to see that uh, uh, in the smaller communities. And just by our sheer size, you run into community members that uh, you can have that dialogue with. Uh, the other thing is, 
what I have really seen is the commitment of our staff to provide the best quality of care for everyone. They really take it personally and it's reflected on our quality and the overall health in our community. Thank you again for joining us today, Greg. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll talk about COVID-19 spread in rural America, the importance of testing, and how service line partnerships support rural hospitals, particularly in times of crisis. Our guest for that episode runs one of the largest labs in the nation and is a longtime friend of Hillsdale Hospital. You won't want to miss it. And as a reminder, we are collecting patient testimonials to be featured during our Voice of the Patient segment, like what you just heard from Jeff. If you have an experience to share about the positive impact you or your loved one has had as a patient at a rural hospital or healthcare provider, call our direct-to-voicemail line at 269-447-1265 and share your story with us. You just might be featured on a future episode of Rural Health Rising. Again, that number is area code 269-447-1265. You can also look that up on our website at ruralhealthrising.com. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Greg Beeg, president and CEO of Oakland Hospital in Marshall, Michigan. For more interviews like this and more information, or to share your patient or family testimonial with us, visit ruralhealthrising.com. 